Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Good uh, morning. I, I trust you're in Hamilton now. I am just outside Hamilton, but yes, okay, I am. Right. I am in Canada. Yes. Yeah. So we're uh, here in the Twin Cities. I'm actually outside uh, surgery, and uh, that's why I, I'm lacking my Ortho Joe mug. By the way, Peter, one of the great benefits of being a guest on this is you get this fabulous Ortho Joe mug, so that you can drink some coffee and think about Mo and uh, his, <laughs> his penetrating questions that he's about to ask you. But it's minus seven degrees Fahrenheit here in the Twin Cities, and we're about to get a big dump of snow. I'm not sure if you're in that band. No, it's it's cooler. It's definitely cooler, but it's no snow yet. And uh, yeah. I don't know I don't know why that is, but we're until you know late December, and we have not seen snow in Canada, or at least not in Ontario. So we'll yeah, see. well, you know, it's in the states. It's being uh, attributed to Canada. This weather is being put quote pushed on us from Canada. So uh, there's not a lot of warm feelings towards Canadians today, but nevertheless, <laughs> we have a very special guest uh, today from Leeds, UK. So would you please introduce Peter? Yeah, so I have to believe that anyone who has read reasonably in orthopedics certainly has grown up with Peter Giannoudis as, as someone they know. They may not know him personally, but I can tell you Having to have gotten to know him personally, he is an amazing and truly, if there was a unicorn, Mark, mm -hmm. I think we are seeing one today. There are, yeah. are very few of them around in our field, but Peter Giannoudis would certainly fit as that. He is a professor at the University of Leeds and editor of the journal Injury, among many, many other accolades. But he is too humble and didn't want us to really talk about all his accolades. And he really said, I'm here for you, yeah. Mo and Mark. Yeah. And so... On that note, Peter, welcome. It's lovely to have you uh, with us this morning, or I guess it'll be a little bit later in the afternoon for you. Hmm. Really, it's what's on your mind? That's the question I have, because you always have a lot of interesting things on your mind. What right now is top of mind for you? First of all, I would like to thank you for the invitation. Obviously, everybody knows the great work you do in every aspect uh, whether it's um, about um, a project, whether it's about the journal, the American JPJS, uh, you have been uh, a pillar of uh, our discipline to grow, to get respect, and uh, for us also to demonstrate amongst the other surgical disciplines that we've got our own space, we've mm -hmm. got our own kind of pride. Mm -hmm. And I think you are well-renowned for what you believe, what you do, and your professionalism. So thank you for all of that and uh, for being a friend as well. Mm. Now, moving on to what is in my mind, a lot of things. <laughs> Where to start? As you know, Leeds is one of the 27 major trauma centers in the UK. We have been uh, operating officially with this designation by the government since April 2010, actually 12, pardon me. And uh, this April will uh, will be celebrating 10 years mm. of providing this service to um, the population of Leeds and beyond with helicopter. 
And I'm very proud to say that we are still have a very good ranking within the UK in terms of the work we do, in terms of our survivorship rates. And uh, I'm very pleased for my colleagues, for the patients, and of course, for the trauma charity that we established in Leeds to support these individuals, these patients with life-changing injuries. And from being a small project, for instance, the day one trauma charity now is uh, operating at a national level, and I'm very pleased and proud for them as well. Mm. That's great, Peter. I want to point out to our audience that Dr. Giannoudis is, is really a double threat. He is a world-class basic researcher as well as clinical researcher, and there are very, very, very few uh, orthopedic surgeons who, who are able to compete uh, in those arenas, and he does that uh, very well. But can, can you just back up a little bit? How did you get to Leeds? Obviously, you're of uh, Greek heritage, and I, I've recently been to Greece, and it's a great orthopedic community there. Tell us your story. Well, it was, I guess, destiny, maybe. First of all, I did my um, first degree, my, the pre-medical degree, and yeah. I specialized in sports injuries in Canada, in Vancouver. And then uh, from there on, I went back to Greece, where I finished the medical school at the University of Ioannina. Yeah. 1990, then I had to spend two years in the army because in Greece, it's an obligation to go to the army. And after that, because I wanted to specialize abroad. England was a good option to consider at that um, time. And uh, I've written, if I recall well now, if I remember well, to about 28 hospitals mm. to accept me to come and work to start with. Mm. And the one that accepted me was uh, Leeds, <laughs> the Leeds Teaching Hospitals. And this is how I ended up being here. So, and this is why I said maybe it was by destiny. Yes, yes. So, yeah. Peter, let me ask you this. I mean, you know, one thing you do, and um, there's many things you do extremely well, but you're, you know, there, there are those that will think about projects and there's those that will, you know, participate in executing. You think and you execute, and you execute at a very high rate. Um, your productivity is probably second to none. And what is it that gives you that drive? Or or have you, have you had that drive or from the beginning or, or what was it that gave you that drive to do as much as you've done in your career? This is a very good um, uh, remark, Mo. Uh, we all uh, grow from being uh, young doctors, young scientists, and depending on uh, the environment that uh, we are operating, uh, our mentors, the passion and enthusiasm that it may be within us, we try to provide responses, answers to difficult kind of um, matters. And I'm referring that to um, uh, the clinical work, but also the research work. So we must, we must always question everything. That's the best way to find the truth develop our own ideas and our own practices in terms of how we manage patients. So from the early years of my career, you know, I would read books and so on, but then what I would see on the floor operating or in the lab would not just fit 100%. And there was always this question, why this is happening? This is, cannot be right. I need to look into this a bit deeper. 
And by developing that kind of approach, then you start questioning everything. And this is how you start becoming productive by being, you know, focusing on the things that you feel they're important and you need to provide the right answer to be able to provide, to give the patient the best possible treatment or, or outcome. That's great. Question everything. That, that's, that's the underlying motivation. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I mean, but it still gets back to, you know, how you get ideas. And I'm going to eventually, Mark will see where this is going to go very quickly, but let, let's, let's, let's keep on this, Peter, only because I think there's lots who, I mean, there's many who know you or know of you and know the work and just say, you know, how does he do what he does all the time? And how does he have such a large body of literature? It also comes from getting good ideas. I mean, it's not like suddenly, you know, to publish a paper, you can argue um, that if you're good at writing something and finishing it, in, in today's world, you can probably get it published. But the success that you have had in publishing high impact work in reputable uh, journals, and we can discuss impact at some point, but from that perspective, it gets back to having good ideas. So where do your good ideas come from? I mean, it, it, is it just when you're in the operating room working away, or do you give yourself opportunities in your day or your week to think in a way that allows you to come up with these ideas? More, I would like to say that throughout the day, every second is an opportunity to think and to question. And also, I think you must not just look what's around you in terms of what's happening now, but also what is going to happen in the future. And I always like to think about what will be the hot topic in the future, what we do not know and we need to know. And I always like to be first when that kind of um, interest will be generated. And then I will have already gathered a lot of knowledge, a lot of um, information to be able to lead in terms of that specific subject. Now, you must have a bit of maybe talent, maybe, you know, a drive within you to be able to operate under these sort of circumstances. But in a simplistic way, this is how I can answer this question. Uh, not just try to provide solutions to what is the problem right now, but also think what will be the problem two, three, four, five, ten years down the line and start working on this so that when it will become a consensus that this is an issue, then you will be there providing all your work as a leader. Yeah, I'm going to dig one more. We're going to give one more shot at this, Mark, and then it's all yours. But well, okay, I, so, I, I got another angle if this one doesn't work. Okay, 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 okay. So where do you get your when, when? Okay, because you said every second of the day you should be thinking. And I think that's important. Like, you know, you're always thinking about things, you're questioning everything. But there must be parts of your day, things that you do, whether it's at work or not at work, whatever it is, where you get your best ideas. Maybe I'm going to focus on that. Where do you get your best ideas? When do you get your best ideas? When do they happen? It's difficult to identify a specific timing or a moment. I think I can tell you during an operation, when I've got a problem, I have to find a solution. Why I have this problem that I didn't expect. 
And that's an opportunity. Another opportunity is when uh, I read the book and then I realize that whatever is written is not right. So I need to go deep and 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 try to uh, rectify this or correct it. Or when I do a bit of exercise, a bit of joking, and I'm thinking what went well during the day, what else needs to be done, and then I can start thinking about things that I need to do or to uh, start developing the right foundation for these to be uh, achieved. That's helpful. Thanks. Yeah. yeah so. Peter, you said jogging. So many of our listeners may not know that you were a very high-level marathon runner uh, in your youth. Uh, and most recently, you used that return to that endeavor uh, to raise money for your, the foundation. So uh, I'm imagining your, quote, jogging is like faster than Mo or I have ever run in our, our lives. So uh, can you... Can you tell us uh, about your running career and 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 how it's going now with using that mechanism to raise funds for the foundation? This is um, um, a story of my life. <laughs> that aspect of me, uh, Mark. Again, my running career started when I was at the high school. We had these local races between different high schools. And I just volunteered to be part of the team. I used to love to play football. So running, it, it wasn't my major kind of um, uh, activity. But um, I went to the races uh, among the different high schools. And I, I came third, I think, if I remember well. And then someone from a running club saw me and then spoke with my family you know I was 14 years old then that um, I'm a talent and uh, I should uh, they should start taking me down to the um, track and field stadium and this is how all started so then I started going and then gradually I became a champion within Greece in uh, 5k when I was uh, I think 15 years of age I ran the 5k in 1506 and that was a national record mm -hmm for um, my age group. And then building on, on that, I became a member of the uh, Greek national team. And then of course, a member of the Greek Olympic team for the 2004 Olympics. From uh, 5K, I went to 10K and then to the marathon. So when I was 18 uh, years old, I ran 2023 and was when I was 19, I ran 2016 for the marathon. So I was, quite fast for that period of time. We're talking now in the in 1980s. Um, but then what happened was uh, because I was doing 150 miles a week training, wow. I got several overuse injuries. And one of them, just before the Olympic Games in Los Angeles, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Uh, mm. And that had a major impact in my career. I, I missed uh, the Olympic Games, although I was part of the Greek Olympic team. I ruptured my Achilles tendon in May, and uh, the Games was in July, as you can appreciate. And that was really, really a disappointed moment in my career. And after that, I, I have to say, I never managed to get back to that elite level. Being an elite runner, I was sponsored by Nike Pacific, you know, the, the then uh, from North America. And then it was also the pressure from the medical school. So gradually I let it go and I never came back to that kind of a level to run as an athlete. 
we got to know because of our interest in evidence. Did you have the your Achilles tendon operated? I did. Okay. I did. I did. And believe it or not, I still have problems. And uh, when I did the Athens Marathon, it came back again. So I did the first half marathon, uh, two hours, five minutes. And then uh, the second half, it was three hours and five minutes because of I couldn't run with my Achilles. Oh, yeah. It's, it's one of these things that some of these injuries, they never go away, you know? For sure. How has that worked out for a, as a fundraising tool for your trauma foundation? Well, the trauma foundation is is going really, really well. We, you know, for the from the Athens Marathon, uh, we we managed to raise about twelve thousand pounds. That's about fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But uh, I think this is an opportunity as well to express my deepest appreciation mm-hmm. to Hans Jörg Ries. You all know Hans yeah. Jörg. Yeah. He kindly donated to to the charity in Leeds one million. Yeah, uh, he's been a great supporter for what we do here, and I'm grateful to him because that kind of amount allow us then to expand to a national level, and we are supporting patients throughout the UK. And your foundation is primarily uh, focused on recovery for victims of trauma. Is that correct, Peter? It is focusing on both the physical and the mental states of patients having sustained multiple injuries. So we are talking about the polytrauma patients. We've got about 25,000 of polytrauma patients in the UK per year. And if you also consider their family, because their family as well is part of what we support, we are talking about almost 100,000 people that we support one way or another, uh, providing um, mental support, providing uh, support to get them equipment so that they can continue their rehabilitation at home, providing um, signposting to claim benefits, providing free legal support if there is uh, for them to ask for compensation, and this is for free. We also provide uh, financial support for those really poor ones that they don't even have clothes to wear. It's a kind of a, a multifaceted the support that we provide to this cohort of patients. Uh, congratulations on that very important and innovative work. Uh, it's great. Mo, do you want to take us out with the last uh, question? Yeah, I'm trying to think of something that would follow such an important um, you know, uh, mission and vision that you have, Peter. But I guess, really, I think the thing as I think about us talking and I, I kind of I'm reminiscing as you've been chatting about probably 20 years of knowing you. When you look back at everything you've done, is there is there anything you wish you would have done differently? Or do you believe that the things that happened happened for a reason and have brought you to where you are today? We can always reflect more and with hindsight, we say, yes, we could have done um this operation better as we progress through our careers, through our learning curves, through our, you know, let's say maturation, both as a human being, as a surgeon as well. But what we need to appreciate is that in the job we do, we are facing with a pressure to make decisions and we have to take decisions on the spot. And it's better to take these decisions that 
not to take any decision. And of course, some of our decisions a year down the line, we always say, oh, we could have done this better and so on. But at the point, in my opinion, it was the best decision that I could take or you could take and so on. Two years down the line, when you've got more information in front of you, when you have analyzed the situation, uh, taking months to do that, not just a few seconds, of course, there is always that kind of an argument. I could have done this slightly different, maybe a bit better. But you know, again, this process of reflecting, it's a good one because when the time will come again and you are on the same kind of position to make that decision, you know that decision will be a bit different. And these decisions are, of course, always for the patients, for the department, for the university where we work and so on. And through this journey, one thing I can say is, yes, always you can do things better, but at the time, I believe we have taken and we do take the best decisions with the information is in front of us. And we should not ever forget that is the timing, is the pressure and so on. And reflecting all these decisions, they make us better human beings, better surgeons, better scientists and better teachers. What a great way to end the conversation. Lovely. I can't thank you enough, Peter. Lovely. Yeah. And you should be watching the post for this very high level and fancy Ortho Joe mug as uh, our way of thanking you for participating. And uh, there's there's Mo with that, that very <laughs> expensive mug. It's our way of thanking you for taking the time out of your busy afternoon. And uh, Peter, congratulations on a wonderful career. And we know you've got another 20, 30 years left. Uh, to contribute to increasing knowledge in orthopedic trauma. And we're looking forward to reading about that for many years to come. So Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, one thing I can say is, I was just going to say, it, it, it's not a gold medal, but it's pretty close. Oh, I mean, it's oh pretty very close. good. No. It's pretty it close. Right? It, is, it is for <laughs> what you believe, for what you do, and what is the aim, the objective here. And I think it's just like a dime on this cup. There you go. <laughs> and he still got it in. He still got it in. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Please, please let me know when it will be ready so that I can make sure I'm not going to miss it. Miss it. So if you can uh, notify me when uh, will be available, will be greatly appreciated. Will do. It will be in the post. Well, we'll let you get back great. to the laboratory uh, or to the theater. And uh, Mo, uh, you have a great day as you well. Too. And uh, thanks as always, our team, Carl. Christina and Alan for making sure that this comes through. So have Lovely. great holidays, everybody, and have a great day. Until next time. Likewise, best wishes and thank you mm. for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.